Thank you, Jen. I never looked that cute pregnant, I'm telling you right now. Especially with your 18th. It's like, come on. Stuff should be dropping and drooping and you're a little too tight for me, Jen. Um, so glad you, if you're, if you're new for the first time, you're probably ready to leave by now after I just, I'm Laura Seifert. I'm so thrilled that you're here tonight. Um, I want to just, uh, ask God to come and speak for just a second. Let me pray and then we'll jump into what I'm going to share tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you that when two or more are gathered, you are here. And so we're just, we do welcome you. And we just ask Lord that for the next few minutes, would you speak to us? Lord, if there's anything that's distracting us, if there's anything that weighs on us, would you just allow that to be removed from our mind just for the next few minutes? And I pray that you would unplug our ears and open our, our um, hearts and reveal to us your truth in a way that makes sense, that we can understand, that we can grab onto, and that would change us, Lord. We want to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you guys were here in May, Wendy Scott taught... Wendy is a good friend of mine, and she and I together, is that Don Cunningham here? God bless him. No, it's not. I thought it was Don back there. I thought you were my friend Don Cunningham that just said she couldn't come, and then she's here. Don, bless you for being here. I'm so sorry. I really took it. I was like, what? Anyway, Wendy, I'm so sorry. Bless you. What's your name? Yes, you cute in the red striped. You're adorable. I won't, I won't call you up here. You're just so cute. Thank you. Anyway, okay, so Wendy Scott and I, were, we were at Dunn Brothers Coffee Shop in Friendswood where I live, and we're mulling over the summer. Together last year, we had kind of come up with the idea of summer nights, and we started it in Friendswood, and then we decided we would bring it here too. And so as we were sitting there back in March or April thinking about what should we teach, what should the theme be, we thought we couldn't really come up with much. We, we knew we wanted to make it simple yet profound, which is who Jesus is. And so we just thought, let's pray a little bit, and we'll get back together in a week or two. And as we were doing that, I was kind of mulling over when God first called me into full-time ministry, and especially when he first called me into teaching. Uh, somebody asked me for my bio. Biogra I'm like, bi I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. So I was thinking about that. I thought, what is it? What is my goal? What is my heartbeat in teaching? Why do I even want to teach? And Jason helped me kind of put it together, but really, it's something I've always gone back to, and it's, in, it's just that I want to make simple the profound truths of God's Word. And when we started Yes Ministries, the mission statement Sylvia shared with you is our mission is to draw all women closer to Jesus. It's simple. That's it. Our mission is not to talk about predestination and, and you know, creation versus evolution and and what do we think about all sorts of things in the world today? Our mission is just to draw us closer to Jesus. So wherever you find yourself today, we want you to draw closer to him. I want to draw closer to him. And we want to make simple the profound truths in God's words. Because anytime I make it too complicated, I'm done. I just kind of walk away. I can't figure it out. I'm a simple girl and I need it to be simple. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that's exactly what he was about. His mission, his gospel, which simply means good news, was simple. And so that's what, as I was praying about this summer, I thought, let's get back to the simple truth of Jesus. And I read a quote that really solidified the theme of this summer. Louis Giglio wrote it, and I just want to share it with you. He says, I have to believe that Jesus 
believed that he was the way to salvation. Because you don't suffer crucifixion's death to be one of many options. Let me read that again. He said, I have to believe that Jesus believed that he, Jesus, was the way to salvation. Because you don't suffer crucifixion's death to be one of many options. And so when I share that with you tonight, the reason I share that is because it was an aha when I read it. I thought, exactly, I just want to get back to who Jesus is. And in John chapter 14, he had a lot of moxie when he said this. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's profound. That simple sentence is packed with profound truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Now, if he says that, I got to know what that means. What on earth? He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Wendy talked about Jesus being the way last month. If you haven't heard that message, it's excellent. You can get it on our website, yesministries.net. But tonight, I'm going to focus on Jesus' claim that he is the truth. Jesus said he is not just knows the truth, but Jesus is claiming to be the source of truth. He's the source of all truth. And so what does that actually mean? Um, you know... In our day and age, there is, I mean, really, y'all, there are so many different sources of truth. People say all the time, you know what, just follow your own truth, man. I mean, whatever, mm, follow your truth. <laughs> oh, I don't know, my truth wavers with the wind, you know? So what is really the truth? I mean, I, I, there's lots of different sources that we look to and we reach for for truth. And I want to give you a really cheesy example as we start out, just to kind of get your mind around what I'm trying to communicate tonight and what I believe Jesus is trying to communicate. If you know me at all, you know that I love to shop. I love fashion. I love it, I love it, I love it. I love it. Some of you like to play golf. I like to be in a mall. Some of you like to, I mean, when you take a vacation, when I take a vacation, we were just in uh, Dripping Springs. I don't really care about going down to the creek and seeing the beautiful scenery. We went to two Targets. I loved it. <laughs> what does this Target look like in Dripping Springs? Is it amazing? It was actually in Austin. But sweet Jason went with me to two. I love it. I love to shop. But, but as I'm reaching middle age, I can feel I'm, I can slip a little bit. And so I want to make sure that I'm still on point. And so <laughs> I bought this shirt. It was on sale. But when I bought, that's another thing. Some men like to hunt. I like to bargain shop. Not much difference. You're going in for the kill. So when I got this shirt, I thought to myself, when I put it on, I was like, okay, should I have really purchased this for my eight-year-old daughter? Or is it okay for a middle-aged mama like myself? So I need the truth about my shirt. And so I'm going to bring some of my friends up here for a quick example. Jason, why don't you come stand right here? Sylvia, you come stand right here. And Karen, you come stand right here. So the question, the truth I'm needing is, is this shirt cute for me? I know that it's cute and I know I'm cute. But is it cute? <laughs> is it working together? 
So I'm going to ask them the same question. Is this shirt good, cute for me? Jason, what's your answer? Oh, yes. You look good in everything. <laughs> this is my husband, Jason. Do you all know that? This is my husband. This is Sylvia. Sylvia, what do you think? Is this shirt cute? Yes. Oh, God cute. bless you. Now I'm moving over to Karen. Karen, is this shirt cute? Well, I love it, Laura, because, you know, all the couture houses this season. Yes. Mm, thank so you. you so it's good. Okay. So all three people say, yes, it's cute. It's good for me. But here's the thing. We need to consider the source of the truth telling. Okay. Jason, Jason, Jason. Okay. He's my husband. Y'all connect that? So why might Jason say yes? Why? Thank you, Kirsten. He's a very smart man. We've been together 15 years. He's learning. But, but when I'm asking Jason a question, particularly about fashion, I, really anything that's on my body, I have to know there may be an ulterior motive in his answer, right? What does Jason want more than anything? He wants harmony in his home. He wants eventually to take this shirt off, right? No. I'm just so Jason has a bit of a, that got recorded. That's on camera. All you at home, Brianna, Brianna's watching live on Facebook. So Jason, Jason, while I'm seeking truth from him, I have to realize is that he's got a motive behind his answer, okay? Now I'm moving over to Sly here, Miss Sylvia. Now look how cute Sylvia looks. She's adorable. There's no reason why I shouldn't ask her this question about fashion, but because I know Sylvia, I know that she could care less about fashion. She does not care. Am I right? Am I lying? Yeah, she doesn't care. Sylvia has a rockin' body. She could wear anything, and yet she does not care about fashion. It's my dream to style Sylvia. I would love it. Now, if I want to know about fitness or about golf, I might go to Sylvia. But when I'm talking fashion, Sylvia just doesn't know a lot about it because she doesn't care about it. Not that she's not adorable, but she just doesn't care. But I'm moving over here to Miss Karen. And Karen, I've known Karen for almost 20 years. And Karen has never not looked adorable. Karen has never not looked put together. These embroidered jeans she did herself made them herself. She's always put together. She's always beautiful and she's always on point. And so for me, Karen is the, the source of truth for fashion. So if I really want to know, I'm going to ask Karen, is this good? Is it a good color for me? Is it a good style for me? Because I know I'm really going to get the truth. So you heard her. She said, oh, it's very on point. Embroidery is a hot thing. So y'all can sit down now. Give them a hand. So the reason I share this little cheesy example is because when Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, I am the source of all truth. So what he says to me when he says that in his word is he's saying, Laura, I'm the source of all truth, meaning I trump your husband. I trump your pastor. I trump you. I trump it all. I am the source of all truth. Now, I decide if I'm going to believe that or not. He's not changing what he says. He says, I'm the source of all truth. And so as I walk in my life and as I walk as a follower of Jesus, oftentimes 
I will ask people the same question about Jesus and I'll get different answers. And so if I want to know what truth really is, I've got to know the source, which means I've got to know Jesus. I've got to know him. And so that's what I want to talk about for just a few more minutes tonight. And we're going to look in John chapter 8 tonight. And we're not going to be, uh, we're not going to read a lot of scripture tonight because we've got a lot to unpack in just two verses. But if you're with me, you can look in John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31. And we're just going to go through verse 32. But Jesus is talking to his people, his followers. These are men and women that have just believed in him, that are beginning to follow him, and he's beginning to tell them who he is. And he says this in verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, he said, you are truly my disciples if you abide in my word. Another translation says, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Another one says, you're truly my disciples if you dwell in my word. Let me talk about that for just a second. What is a disciple? Is a disciple somebody that's got it all figured out? No. Is a disciple somebody that has a ton of scripture memorized and that is what makes him a disciple? No, although disciples, would, it would be good to memorize scripture. But that's not what makes me a disciple. Is a disciple somebody that has a lot of wisdom and always knows the right answer and lives really in the straight and narrow and never messes up? No, that's not a disciple. A disciple is this, a follower of Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. That's it. So when you look in the New Testament, there were 12 disciples. 12 of them that followed Jesus. They left everything and they began to follow him. And if you ever want to feel good about yourself, you just start to study the disciples in the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because they did, they, if anything, they had nothing together. They made a ton of mistakes. They flubbed a lot, but they followed Jesus. They said, okay, we're in. We're following you. And so Jesus says, if you are truly my disciples, then you will abide in my word. So what does he mean by that when he says abide in my word? The word abide literally is translated to mean dwell or live in. To dwell or live in. And when he says my word, what is he saying? The word is translated several different ways. It means his truth found in this Bible, in his word. But Jesus also said I am the word because in, in John, it says the word in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. So Jesus is oftentimes referred to as the word. He's the source of all truth. So if you unpack this one sentence, what he's saying is you're truly my disciples. If you dwell with me, if you live with me, if you hang out with me, Think about the last thought that you got hung up in in your mind that you were dwelling on. Have you ever dwelt on a fear and you just dwell on it and you think of the what ifs, what happens? Whatever we dwell in or dwell on will grip us. It will have authority in our lives. And Jesus is saying, if you're truly my disciple, you will dwell with me. Dwell with me. When is the last time in the pot? So, so the word dwell 
can have a negative effect if you're dwelling on something negative. But the word in this passage is meant to be a positive word. When you dwell with Jesus and you hang out with him, you become like him because you fall in love with him and you understand how much he loves you and your life changes and my life changes. Let me give you an example. I mentioned to you that Jason and I last weekend went to Dripping Springs for a wedding. Have y'all ever been to Dripping Springs? That is a great little place, by the way. But our month of May, the month of May for us has been probably the craziest month that we've had in a long time. We have been uber busy, lots of meetings, lots of functions to go, just blah, into school year. It's just been a crazy, crazy month. And so what's happened is Jason and I have been ships passing in the night. It's like, there you go. I'll see you. I'll catch you on the flip side. He's usually up and out the door and he's had late meetings or I've had late meetings. And so we have been doing this. And so we have not been able to dwell with each other, meaning we've not had a long date night where we could just linger at a table over a glass of wine and talk about the day <clears throat> uninterrupted. We had very few nights like that, very few occasions. And if we have, it's like, I've got so many things on my mind, I can't even relax. And so what happens in our relationship when we get that busy is we start to feel strained. I get cranky. He doesn't notice it because I am so, right, I mean, I'm just tender and sweet. But on the inside, I can get real irritable. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I find that rather than saying, I miss you, I don't really, I forget. I don't really know what it is, but all of a sudden, everything is irritating me. And his breathing <laughs> is wrong. The way he eats is making me crazy. And the reason is because we're not connected. We're not connected. And so when we left and we, we and we, his mother lives in Friendswood and we just moved her to an assisted living side of this facility that she lives in. And we had to leave town on Thursday by noon and she had to be totally moved out by Thursday at 10. And so we are, Wednesday night, we are packing up, sweating till late at night. Sweet Jason is up early in the morning, literally unloading stuff from her refrigerator, everything. Runs home, shoves everything in our garage, runs in and takes a shower. We jump in the car and we head for Dripping Springs. Our kids are at camp. So here we are sitting in the car driving and it was like, we, we couldn't even breathe. So y'all probably can't relate to this at all because everyone here besides us has a perfect marriage. But you know when, you, when you're experiencing that, and this doesn't even have to revolve around marriage, this can be with your best friend or your roommate. But when you are close, intimately connected with someone, and you've been missing each other, and then all of a sudden you've got time together, for me, it takes a while for me to come down off the ledge. It takes a while for me to decompress. So we're driving to Dripping Springs, and it's a three-hour drive, and it was like two hours and 55 minutes before I was ready to look over and think he's cute again. <laughs> Both of us got in the car and we were like, oh! And we really, I don't even remember that we talked a whole lot at the beginning because we were both just so wiped out. But we had two nights at a hotel and we had uninterrupted time the day of the wedding. He didn't have, he was singing in the wedding. He didn't have to be there until four we were able to get up and run together and then go to two Targets together. We went to Guitar Center. We had lunch together. 
And all of a sudden, we had time to dwell with each other. And as we were dwelling, I was like, oh! <laughs> There's no one I want to be more connected to on the face of this earth than Jason. And y'all, I forget that. I forget that. When we're super busy, I forget it. I just go, I, I'm just, I'm putting out fires. I'm wiping snotty noses. I'm doing the thing. But when I've got time to dwell with him, there's no one else I want to be with. I love him. And we start to talk. And we didn't have to talk about the budget. We just were able to chill out and relax and talk. And so when Jesus says in John chapter 8, 31, here's what makes you my disciple is when you dwell with me. Jesus is not saying, you're my disciple when you get it right, when you stop doing that. You'll be my disciple when you'll finally start doing this. When you act like a good Christian and represent me well, then you're my disciple. That's what we're taught in this Western world. And that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, you are truly my disciple when you dwell with me. Stick with me. Don't leave when the going gets tough. Don't bail ship. Stick with me. And, and it's not anything that's ever going to find its way into my schedule. I have the purpose to get in the car and lock the door and be still with the Lord. Just like Jason and I were in the car with the doors locked for three hours driving to Dripping Springs. This morning, I, I have this ugly orange chair in my house that I bought for $20 at a garage sale. But I love this chair so much that I'm not willing to get rid of it. But I sat down this morning and I just dwelt with the Lord. I just sat there. And I thought, Lord, where, where do you want me to? I don't even know where to go. I just want to be still for just a minute. And I went to a psalm. And we're leaving Friday to go to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. And this psalm said, I am with you when you travel and I'm with you when you rest at home. And that's exactly what I needed to hear because I get anxious sometimes. We're, we're traveling out of the country. And had I not taken that time, because my instinct was to get up and start doing laundry and start packing because, oh my gosh, we're leaving Friday morning. And I thought, go sit down in that orange chair and dwell with him. And I was a lot nicer today because I was connected. <laughs> dwell with him. Sometimes it can be intimidating to dwell with the Lord. What does that even mean or feel like? Listen, it, it, it will look different for all of us. There's no formula. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes with your journal and your cup of coffee and your scripture open and then take a quick shot of it and put it on Instagram. It just means sit still. Just sit still. Just sit still. Oftentimes for me, I dwell with the Lord in my car when I don't have children with me or anybody's with me and I intentionally play certain songs that are worship songs that are speaking to me and it shifts my mind where it needs to be and I'm able to dwell again. For me, one of the ways I love to dwell with the Lord is when I run and I love to run with my headphones on. And when I do that, it's not a time where I walk away and go, man, that, I regret doing that. That was really bad. And it's not a time I leave going, oh, he just told me all the things I'm doing wrong. No, when I dwell with him, I learn to hear what his voice is like. And his voice is never a voice of shame. 
His voice is always a voice of love. His voice will always speak to you with words of love. I love you, Laura. I see you. I know you're tired. I've got this. I haven't left you. Dwell with the Lord. And this is why he tells his followers to do it. Verse 32, he says, because then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, you're going to know the truth then and the truth will set you free. I want to talk about that for just a few minutes. The word know in this passage is translated in the Greek to mean genosko. And here's what it means. It means to know, to come to know, to recognize and understand and get this, to have sexual relations. What? <laughs> that makes sense, to know, come to know, recognize. And, oh, I bet the next line is sexual relations, yes. <laughs> but here's what he means by this. The word know in this context is not intellectual knowledge. It's not intellectual knowledge. How many of us, myself, I've been one of these ladies. I, I've been in Bible study since I was um, in high school. I remember attending my first, well, really back in junior high, attending my first Bible study. I was leading Bible studies by the time I was in college, and I was not knowing the Lord in an intimate way. Now, I could spout off a lot of scriptures to you. I could share a lot, and it was not a waste of time to memorize Scripture. But what the Lord cared more, to be, more about than my memorization of Scriptures is He cared about my heart, and He wanted to know me in an intimate way. So this word know, He says, then you, you, He said, and you will know the truth. And when He says know it, you're going to intimately understand it. You're going to intimately know me. Do you know what intimacy means? Into me see. Into me see. There are a lot of people that I know in my life and that know me well. I have, I've been blessed with lots of friends. Uh, my mom is still alive. She knows me. She's known me longer than anyone. I have a twin sister that's my womb mate. She knows me really well. But no one knows me like Jason knows me. No one knows me like Jason knows me. Why? Because we're intimate in a way that I'm not intimate with my sister and my mom. Y'all cracking that code? And here's the, th here's the picture. Jesus is saying, I know you more than that. So whether you're single, married, divorced, or widowed, Jesus is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know the truth. When he says know the truth, he's saying, I want you to know me. I am the truth. I want you to know me so intimately that nobody, nobody gets to that deep place in your heart like I do. And that may seem so bizarre to some of us. Like, what does that even mean? Because for, for some of us in the room, Christianity has been a belief system that we have adopted. We know that we're not Buddhist. We know that we're not Islamic. We know that we're not Hindu. So we're Christian. We check it off on a survey. We've grown up in the church. And Jesus is saying, I am more than a belief system. I am God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to know me, and I want you to understand how well I know you. I know all of those dark secrets. I know all of those wounded places. I know all of those dreams, every single one of them. I know the things that wake you up at night that you're so fearful about. I know every part of you, and I love you. I love you. 
I don't judge you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not angry. I'm not disgusted. I love you. I love you. And if you will take the time to dwell with me, you're going to know that. You're going to know the truth about you. And when you know the truth, you're going to be free. You're going to be free. Now, when he said this to his disciples at the time, when he said this, we won't look at it tonight, but in verse 33, their response was, what? We are free. We're daughters and sons of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. They're thinking the literal sense of being enslaved. And Jesus is saying, no, when you sin, anyone that sins is, is held captive in slavery. And I want to set you free. So I want us to think about that for just a minute. I'm going to know the truth. I'm going to intimately know Jesus and he's going to set me free. What on earth do I need to be free from? What am I in bondage to? I live in America. I drive a car. I'm not in jail. We've got money in our account. What, 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 I mean, my kids, I get to choose pretty much anything I want. We live in the land of the free. How, how on earth would this passage relate to me? Well, I want you to think back to my first example of shopping. I love shopping. I love it. I love it. When I'm happy, I want to buy something. When I'm sad, I want to buy something. <laughs> when I'm scared, I want to buy something. I love it. 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 Here's what happens. Here's what Jesus means when he says the words bondage and enslaved to sin. It is not, it was not a sin for me to buy this shirt. But here's the thing, when I spend too much on shopping, when I overindulge in it, I have a pit in my stomach, a pit in my stomach. And I start to think, what can I return? What do I need to return? You might love wine. You might love it. A good Cabernet, you love it. You love it. But when you start looking at that watch at three o'clock, and one glass turns into two bottles, and you wake up the next morning, and you're hungover, and you've got to drive carpool. That's what it means to be enslaved. When something has, just like Jen said in her, uh, before her song, when something has become ultimate in your life, when something's taken a place that only God should have. I want to read a, a quote about... Uh, Sin that I think is, is, I don't know, it helps me understand it. Sin is not just our acts. It's not just doing the wrong thing or not doing the right thing. Sin is a power that resides in each of us. You didn't have to teach your kids to lie. They naturally understood how to do that. You have to teach them not to lie when they're fearful that they might get in trouble. So that comes from a power called sin that we're all born into because of a sinful world that we were born into. And it says, um, sin is a power that makes acts happen. It's a root problem. And it says, sin enslaves us by producing compelling desires. And these sin desires make anything in life look, perceive, and believe to be more valuable than Jesus. Let me say that again. Sin enslaves us in the sense that it produces a compelling desire in me. And that desire, that thing that I want 
takes a place that in my life, I begin to believe this is going to do the trick more than he will. This is more desirable than Jesus. This is going to fix it more than he will. This is going to be the answer. And so the need, the desire in itself is not wrong. I've got the desire to be secure. I've got the desire to feel loved. I've got the desire to have purpose. I've got the desire to feel affection, all sorts of things. But when I step outside of God's best for me to meet it on my own, I become enslaved to it. God wired me to love beauty and, and to love fashion. It's just a creative side of me. There's nothing wrong with that. Who made grapes that turned into wine? There's nothing wrong with that. Who made uh, the cow that got the milk that we needed for that cheesecake that's so good? <laughs> Who made queso? He did. He had to have. It's so good. <laughs> Whatever that processed stuff is in there, he had to have thought of it because it's so good. And so the desire in itself is not bad, but it's not profitable when it begins to grip me. And that's what it means to be enslaved. And I'm not just enslaved to things like shopping or wine or food or whatever those things are. I'm enslaved to thoughts in my mind. I'm enslaved to lies that I don't even recognize I believe anymore. They're just part and innate in me. And Jesus is saying, when you dwell with me, I am the truth. You will not only begin to recognize the lies that you're believing, but you will begin to believe the truth over them. And then you'll be set free. You will be set free. Growing up somewhere along the lines, we all just receive messages. And if we endure difficult seasons in our lives or traumatic things, we can grab on to lies that God's not trustworthy, that I'm not enough, I'm not beautiful, I'm not worthy, I'm not smart enough. I'm, we, as women, I think we either think we're not enough or we're too much. And we can get trapped and we become enslaved to our own thoughts. So much so that before, this, uh, before I taught on Monday night, I sent a quick text to 10 of my friends and I said, okay, imagine you're walking into summer nights tonight. What are some of the things that you might be thinking in your mind that might be things that would keep you from wanting to even come? Just throw them out to me, text, text them to me. I want to read some of the lies that we think that we don't even recognize. One is, I'm not like these women, I'm not Christian enough, I make too many mistakes. These people have it all together. Why on earth am I here? I bet everyone here knows each other and I don't know a soul. I know nothing about the Bible. I do not belong in a Bible study. I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy enough to even know God. Does everyone really have it all together or are they just all fake? I'm sure I'll say something stupid. I hope they don't notice the stain on my shirt. That was my twin sister. <laughs> Uh, she was Sylvia in the example on Monday night because she's like Sylvia, doesn't care much about fashion. She even said, does this shirt even match? Will they know that I buy everything I'm wearing on clearance with a coupon because it's from last year? Will they wonder why I'm here if they saw my pics on Facebook last night? Will my friends that I asked to come with me think that this is weird 
And now, afterwards, are they going to think I'm weird? Is this even worth my time? Will I actually learn something that will change my life, or should I just stay home? I'm such a mess, and everyone here has it all together. That's just a sample of some thoughts that women were honest enough to share with me that, that they get bombarded with when they come to things like this. So when Jesus says, when you dwell with me, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I'm here to tell you and I'm here to tell me again. We all need to be free. Every single one of us needs to be free. I don't care how long you have been in church, how long you have followed Jesus as a disciple. There's always more freedom and there's always a closer step to him. Always, 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 always. This is never not um, an evergreen verse, meaning that it's always going to grow. If I continue to be, believe it and sit in the word, I will know the truth and the truth will set me free. He doesn't say you're going to know about me. All of us know about him at some level. He's saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. I want you to know me. I'm going to sleep so good on Thursday night before we leave to go um, out of the country on Friday. Why? Because I dwelt with the Lord this morning and he himself shared with me a verse in Psalm 139 that says, where you travel, I'll go with you. Whether you're traveling to the ends of the earth or you reside in your home, you rest at home, I'm with you. I would have missed that. I love him more because he was gracious enough to share that with me this morning. I'm not gripped by fear about this trip. Because I know him. I know him. Now, has he promised me that my kids won't get sick, that they're not going to drink some funky water and have diarrhea, that we're not going to, the plane, you know, is he, no, he's not promised me any of that. He says, in this world, you're going to have trials. This world's like a battlefield, girls. But I can walk through this world knowing the truth and being set free. Set free. I can walk with levity. I can walk with joy. And it all goes back to a simple gospel. It's simple. It's not religion. It's not religion. Why do I come to church so I can gather with God's people and be reminded that he loves me? And be reminded and refueled so that I can go back out and I can look at hurting people and I say, you know what? I know the truth. If you don't know him, I know him. I'll introduce you to him. I don't go to church so that I can check it off a box and make sure everyone sees me there and feel better about myself. Where do you find yourself in relationship to Jesus tonight? I just want us to be honest with ourselves. Do you know him? Maybe you have known him. Maybe you came to know him when you were younger. But you can relate to my example of me and Jason. In your relationship with Jesus, you've gotten kind of crosswires. It's just been hectic, and he's kind of down on your list. That's okay. I understand that. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come back to him. Not so that you can say a bunch of sorries and 
He can shame you a little bit. He just wants you to come home because he loves you. He's not judging you. He dealt with that on the cross so that I can come home at any time. Some of us in the room, we don't even know what we believe about Jesus. We're not sure he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's okay, too. Ask these hard questions. God can handle any of our questions. But don't just let it sit. Press in. Press in. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Every time I'm about to teach, I get bombarded with thoughts of, who are you to stand up and teach? You yelled at your kids today. Who are you to stand up and teach? You should have spent more time studying. Whatever it is. Always. That, that never doesn't happen. But the more I dwell with the Lord, the more I walk with him, just as his daughter, this is what I hear. I love you. I accept you. And I'm going to give you everything that you need. I love you. I accept you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. And when he says it to me, he's always smiling. I love you. I accept you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. What's going on in your life tonight? How many of us just have a mess at home? A mess at work. How many of us are struggling? You know what the Lord says to you tonight? I love you. I accept you. And I'm going to give you everything that you need. When these friends of mine texted me these, these uh, thoughts, I printed five pages of scripture that countered it. And I just want to read a few truths that trump our lies and our emotions. One is, and this is all scripture, I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Jesus. I've been justified. I've been redeemed. I will not be condemned by God. I've been set free from the law. I've been accepted by Christ. I've been called a saint. In Christ Jesus, I have everything that I need. God leads me in the triumph and the knowledge of Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a child and an heir. I've been set free in Christ. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen. I'm chosen. How many of you were the last one picked and not ever picked? You're chosen. Chosen. I was always the last one picked. I would have rather been at the mall than on the field. I'm chosen, holy and blameless before God. I'm holy and I'm blameless before God. Why? Because of the blood shed for me on the cross. I'm holy, not because of what I do or don't do. I'm holy because of what he has done for me. That is the gospel. That is good news. And we've gotten away from the simplicity of it. Because of God's mercy and love, I've been made alive in Christ. I have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. If you feel distant today, all you'd have to do is say, Lord, I want to come home. You are brought near. I was formerly in darkness, but now I am in light. I'm a citizen of heaven. The peace of God guards my heart and mind. God supplies all my needs and God loves me and he has chosen me. That's about a third of the verses on here counteracting those lies. I'm going to walk in darkness if I choose not to sit down and dwell with him. But when I sit down or start to run or walk or whatever it is you do that allows your mind to take a deep breath, whatever it is, do that and turn your thoughts toward Jesus and allow him to speak his words of love over you. 
He loves you. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life, and He wants to set you and I free. It's why He died. He said, it is for freedom that I've set you free. Don't be bound again by a yoke of slavery. It's not worth it. Overindulge, it's not, whatever it is that's trying to get the fix or meet the need, it's not worth it if it's not Him. And if you're saying tonight, I don't know how to do that. That stresses me out. I don't know how to do it. It's okay. Tell Him that. Tell Him that. Tell Him that. And then sit still. When I first started to try and dwell with Him, I literally set a timer for 10 minutes. Lots of years ago, I would sit a timer and just try and be still, and I would just say, what is it, what is it I believe, Lord? What is true about me? And I'd start with an ugly list. And I'd go, Lord, what do you say about me? You're chosen. You're accepted. I'll meet all of your needs. I love you. I see you. I'm at work in your life. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. You're my daughter. I delight in you. I'm fiercely in love with you. And then I take a deep breath. And I walked in here tonight so excited to see you. So excited to see you. Because when those thoughts come in, I'm like, shut up. I am loved. I'm accepted. He's going to give me everything that I need. I want to pray for us. And then Jason, is going, my husband's going to come up and sing a song to close us out. And it's a song that both he and I thought was just a perfect way to end the message tonight. So let me pray for us. And, um, and then he'll close us out. And after he's done, we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your provision in our lives. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is simple. And it's profound in the sense that it's good news that we've not known before. Lord, everything on this earth is about earning, striving, succeeding. Lord, and you tell us that you came to give us life if we will just hang with you. Lord, I pray against any fear, any intimidation, any woman in this room tonight that thinks, oh, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I pray that you would just come to her and show her the way. You're the way, the truth, and the life, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.